Kevin Mondro here, Coach Dro. Welcome back to the Tell Me Your Story Coach podcast, the podcast where we advocate coaches and help young coaches learn from the coaches telling these stories. Today, we are talking to Coach Harry Rafferty. Coach Harry is currently an assistant coach for Coach Kim Barnes-Arico at the University of Michigan. Coach Arico's Wolverines are one of the most successful teams in all of women's basketball. The Wolverines are fresh off a 25-win season in which they advanced to the Elite Eight of the NCAA Tournament. Coach Harry enters his second season as an assistant coach and is fourth on staff for the Michigan women's basketball program. Coach Harry is responsible for coaching the Wings at Michigan, among countless other responsibilities within the program and we do hear the massive respect and admiration that coach harry has for coach Arico. quite simply it is off the charts and coach harry does an amazing job in this conversation of describing what makes coach Arico such an incredible leader before becoming a full-time assistant coach at michigan coach harry joined the wolverines as a graduate manager after playing with the Sioux Falls Sky Force, the NBA G League affiliate of the Miami Heat. As you soon will find out, Coach Harry absolutely loves the game of basketball, and his passion to continue to play basketball after college is a great story. Let's just say that current Miami Heat former Michigan Wolverine Duncan Robinson plays a big part in Coach Harry's story. Finally, Coach Harry does a tremendous job offering his tips for player development, scouting, recruiting, creating player relationships, and in-game coaching. There is a passion that is quite clear in this podcast. A passion for coaching, teaching, working hard, loving the game of basketball, helping players grow on and off the court, and for sure, empowering women. Subscribe, rate, and review on whatever platform that you are currently listening. Remember, we are everywhere. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Podcasts and so much more. Please keep telling your coaching friends about this podcast. The bigger audience we can create, the bigger impact we can make with younger coaches. Follow Tell Me Your Story Coach on Instagram at Tell Me Your Story Coach. Follow Tell Me Your Story Coach on Twitter at Coach Kevin Dro. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Kevin Mondro. By the way, if you need fall gear and uniforms for this upcoming season, check out my show notes below and connect with Moneyball Sportswear today. Enter the promo code DRO and gear up. And if you're looking for a great book to read, I highly recommend the book Deep, The Life of Rob Murphy, Alive with Purpose. See my show notes for how you can secure a copy of this amazing book by Coach Murph. Finally, pre-order Rashad Phillips' book, Basketball Position Metric. Rashad Phillips breaks down how the evolution of basketball has called for updated terminology for player positions. See my show notes for how you can pre-order this new book by this incredible basketball mind. Enough of Coach Joe. Let's get to Coach Harry Rafterty and tell his story. Harry, why do you coach? I think at the heart of it, you know, the big piece about coaching is it's not that different than teaching. It's helping young people. It's an opportunity to give back, particularly through a game that gave me so much coming up. And that kind of goes into the second part of it for me, which is just, you know, I love basketball. It's been the main thing in my life since I was elementary school and then certainly in middle and high school. So I think it's that drive of the love of the game and, and the opportunity to help young people. You just said teaching. I love coaches that think that they're teachers first. How did you identify teaching with why you coach? Well, there's so many 
similarities between the two. It's it's impossible to separate coaching from teaching is the first part. But you know, I one big piece of my coaching beliefs is trying to study past coaches and, mm. and look at the history of the game and you know, whether it's Pat Summit or John Wooden or, you know, the most legendary coaches that have done it, it's those people recognize the teaching aspect to it. And and the more I've been in this now, the more I see that that really is the main piece of it if you want to be successful. So you're a heck of a player. Four-year starter at Wesleyan University, over a thousand points, most threes made in school history, two-time NCAA Division Three tournament appearances. You mentioned falling in love with the game of hoops. Harry, when did you truly fall in love with the game of basketball? I think the start of it was I moved around a lot growing up. Mm -hmm. So it gave me a way to immediately make friends at its core of just going down to the local court. And and even back when I was growing up, it was a little bit different now where more people were playing down at the park. And and that was, you know, a way to meet people, especially at at a young age. The other piece of it, my dad was not a great basketball player by any stretch, didn't play past high school. But he loved it. It became a way that we were able to bond. He was a, a huge fan. 1970 Knicks teams, you know, with Dave DeButcher and Willis Reed and all those guys. And I remember he bought me uh, this five-star drill book by uh, the great Howard Garfinkel and Tom Konchalski. And it became a way early on where we bonded over that of, of going down and trying to figure out ways to, to get better on a daily basis, which was fun as well. So did you grow up a Knicks fan? Like how else did you and your dad bond over hoops? <laughs> I wouldn't say I was a, a diehard Knicks fan. It's hard to put yourself in that category. That's a special breed. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I got older, I became more of just a general fan of basketball, and especially, you know, depending on how the teams played in, in the NBA or WNBA college. You know, I became a huge fan of, of the Spurs when they really had their dynasty rolling there in the late 2000s, early 2010s. Yeah, I can't put myself in the Knicks fan category just because that is such a prestigious group and, and a group that, you know, identifies in, in their own breed. When you were getting ready for the G League, you used to train at one in the morning. Talk me through this. Yeah. So the easiest way to tell that is to tell the story of, of trying to keep playing. You know, I graduated from Wesleyan and I just wanted to play. I wanted to try to play professionally. That was my goal. I knew I wanted to coach eventually, but I wanted to see the playing part of this through as much as I could. So I didn't have any good options overseas. I was trying to figure it out. My parents were starting to look at me sideways because, you know, I had all this student loan debt. I had a good degree. I had some good job opportunities, but I was dead set on figuring out how I would continue to chase my playing aspirations. So my good friend Duncan was going into his senior year here. He had to transfer up from division three. So he had to sit out a year and he said, Hey, you know, come out to Ann Arbor. If nothing else, well, you know, you'll have to figure out how to pay for your rent and food, but I can help give you, you know, access to world-class facilities. So I moved out on a whim. The side hustle was Uber and Lyft driving, substitute teaching, coaching a couple random club teams and anything else I could figure out. To answer your question, how that led into late night training was, you know, I've realized that the hardest time of the day to get gym access was after school until really 10, 11 at night. So I started to flip my schedule. I you know, Duncan would get in the gym late night. We would do some drills together. Sometimes I would stay later after he left. And then, you know, I realized that was kind of the the best way to do it was to work during those hours where I could at least get consistent gym time and then find, you know, actual work to make money around that. That's really cool. So what was your professional career like? I played 
or I should say I was on the roster of, you know, the Sioux Falls guy for force for all five games. It wasn't that long, but it gave me the peace of mind, you know, during those two years of, of doing that and training, it gave me, you know, a sense of that I, that I went forward and, and I had in my mind that I was going to do it until I was around the age of 26. You know, that was a, that's, that age made sense for a lot of reasons. Most notably though, that I wouldn't be on my parents' healthcare anymore. Right. So once I checked that off, I was getting ready to go overseas and, you know, that's when, the GA opportunity at Michigan came about and it was kind of a seamless transition there into the career that I knew I wanted to do long-term, which was coaching. So you're telling me that Duncan Robinson got you to move to the city of Ann Arbor. That was the initial connection for sure. That was, uh, you know, and he would always rave about this community uh, out here. And I would say, you know, I didn't really get it. But once I came out, finally going into his senior year, which they ended up making the national championship game against Villanova, I started to see what the magic was about. He was definitely the, the first connection from our group to come out here. Well, that's super cool. So how long have you known Duncan for? We met in second grade, you know, so and I moved around a little bit through the end of elementary school and early middle school. But since then, we've always been friends. You moved to Ann Arbor. You transitioned to the University of Michigan with the women's basketball program. Started as a graduate assistant. Let's fast forward. You're currently an assistant coach for Coach Kim Barnes, a Rico. So you're fresh off an Elite Eight, 25-7 and seven record this past season. Eight wins versus ranked teams. First time in school history that the Wolverines were ranked in the top five in elite year. Who is coach? Coach Rico. It's hard to summarize her, you know, in, in one word or a sentence or two. She's a remarkable leader. And I think at the core of her leadership is this grit that she's developed over so many years of doing this. You know, she has such a unique journey of her own that, you know, I think of, I know John Beeline was similar on the men's side here before, but a coach that went from coaching in high school to Division Three, to Division Two, to St. John's, to Michigan, and the only way you do that is through a work ethic that's unrivaled, and by treating people the right way. And I think she has all these characteristics that get often described in, in great coaches. But to see it on a day to day basis, it confirmed so many of my beliefs about what this profession is about. So, Coach Kim, she's been ten years at Michigan. 20 wins in nine seasons, five NCAA tournament appearances. I just mentioned the Elite Eight this past season. A Sweet 16 appearance, the 2017 WNIT Championship. This past season, she was the Big Ten Coach of the Year. You talked about this grit, this work ethic. Earlier this summer, I was reading this article about her in The Athletic, and it mentioned that Coach talks about the word grind. What is truly her grind? She challenges our team on a day-to-day basis to be the hardest working team in America. And, you know, I know that's somewhat cliche or maybe hyperbolic of goal, but she lives out that belief in her own habits each day. And I think that's what that word grind or that process is about is, is trying to figure out how you can be, you know, the best you can be in every you know, big and small task every day. I think the a big piece to that success over the last 10 years has been her, but she would tell you too, is she's been trying to, you know, surround herself with players and, and other people on our staff who've done it. You know, I'll, I'll give a quick shout out here to two other members of our staff that have been with her for all 10 years, Amy Mulligan, her director of operations and right. Sarah Van Meter, you know, our sports information director, who are people who live out that that core principle as well of trying to be the best at your job and trying to outwork people and, and outgrind people. You know, I think that's that's at the core of it as well as, uh, you know, when you ask that question, what that does, what does that mean? How does she challenge the players? I think it's, you know, the first thing she does is she has a relationship where she can individually call people out. It's really at the core of it is that they have this trust level where she can get after people and 
they know that it's in their best interest. And that could be in a drill. That could be in regards to something off the court. There's a transparency to her relationship with the players that I think allows her to to push people to be their best. I love that. How does she challenge you? Same way. I mean, she doesn't hold back in terms of, of letting you know of, that you can do something better. And it was that case when I was a GA. That's the case now when I'm an assistant. And once again, I think that's built up through trust that she has your best interest in mind. So everyone that I've talked to, everyone knows you are a hard worker. Uh, we're going to talk about your coaching philosophies here in a second. But you have this extreme work ethic. You work for a head coach that uses the word grind, grit. How do you remain not sensitive when she might challenge you and say, Hey, Harry, you're not doing this. So you need, I need you to do this better. Like as an assistant coach, I had a hard time with that. My bosses would say, Hey, Joe, you need to do this, this, and this. You know, I think it's real beneficial for younger coaches. Like how do you take constructive criticism? Once again, first off is just not taking it personal, knowing that she's doing it for the best interest of the team. After that though, it's just trying to realize that this is a process to becoming the best coach you can be just like anything else. And there's going to be hiccups and, and failures and, and understanding how to deal with those when your boss or head coach, whoever it is, right. challenges you on them, I think is such a underrated piece of, of any success story. So I try to take it in stride. I'd be lying if I said it was always easy or, you know, you don't come back some days and and look at yourself like, gosh, you know, I right. can't do this right. But, but you get up the next day and you try to give it your best effort and, and keep moving forward. So it's funny you mentioned my son's seven or soon to be seven. And he was saying, dad, I make mistakes. And I was like, well, the, the key to it is if you don't make the same mistake again. And it just it just reminds me probably like I probably should have been a little bit better when coaches told me like, Joe, you need to do this. Don't do it again. So but, you know, you talked about aspiring to be a coach and, and grow in this profession and hopefully one day be a head coach. Coach Kim's track record with her assistants becoming head coaches. It's remarkable. And I love that she challenges them, encourages them to become head coaches. Down the road, the time comes where you have that that conversation. What are some things that you for sure would want to bring with you that coaches taught you? I think first is she has built such a strong culture here of accountability at Michigan. And it's laid out at the beginning of every season, you know, during our first meetings, that would be the first piece I would want to, to, you know, implement into my own program if I was fortunate enough one day is culture that, all right, these are the standards and we're all going to try to live by them or live up to them rather. Outside of that, I think the other big piece of Coach Rico's coaching philosophy that sticks with me the most, and there's many aspects, would be she has an ability to see the long term of building teams and get them to play hard and get get them to play harder over the course of a season which i think you see in all great teams is this this climb not at, from you know the first game in november but into march and you know hopefully one day into april of gosh that team is peaking at the right time and they they're believing and each of the last two years on our Elite Eight run and our Sweet 16 run both firsts in program history that was it you could feel it in the room of wow, this team's really believing right now that, you know, whoever we're playing, whether it's Tennessee, whether it was Baylor, whether it was, you know, this past season, Louisville, it's like they think they can beat them. And that's at the core of, I think, any team building is that, is, is finding that belief. You know, she seems like just a phenomenal leader. I can't wait to meet her in person. I've watched her from a distance now. One of the things that I just, I know we're going off script, but she seems to really mentor young women. Like I, I've seen a lot of things where she's just, you know, helping women grow. Like how does she help your players grow? I think Coach Rico, one of her biggest missions 
in her life. And, it, and it's why one of the reasons she became a coach was she wanted to empower women. And she calls it the powerful women's club where she wants her players to realize any subconscious or conscious beliefs they have about limitations of women and what they can do, not only in basketball, but in the workforce or in any part of their life are often made up. There are limitations that society has unfairly put on them. And Coach Rico does such a good job of building in activities and and just day-to-day reminders of, you know, we can break through these unknown limitations if we just, once again, get back to our core principle of working and working and working. I think she does an unbelievable job of, of building that into every day, every practice, anything we do as a team, that core belief. So, Harry, Nas Hillman, she's incredible. Four years on the first team, Big Ten team. She's first team All-American this past season. She's 15th pick in WNBA draft. How amazing was it to coach her and to, be, to see her grow and just be around her on a daily basis? Nas is amazing. She's There's no other way to say it. Seeing what Nas Hillman is on a day-to-day basis it was unbelievable from a work ethic component from how she treats other people in terms of how she represented our program. You know, I hear this term in recruiting sometimes program changers and and that's what Nas Hillman was for Michigan women's basketball. It was once again, because she was just such a diligent worker, you know, whether it was basketball, whether it was off court stuff, academics, or, you know, how she really became a leader in in the social justice movements around campus and, and in the Ann Arbor community. So, you know, this past season, I coached with the women, with Coach Fred Castro at Eastern Michigan. I worked with the post players, and I would watch some film of Nas and try to show it to young ladies on the team. Her ability to finish with either hand, exceptional. Her ability to want contact off the charts, and then just mixing everything up from, like, knowing when to face up, when to power someone through the hoop, mid-range shot, just, like, the total complete package, like, Can you talk about like how she developed or like, how did you and the staff and coach, like, how did you guys get this? Just like, it's an amazing credit to her. And then you guys as coaches. I think most of the credit goes to Nas on it. She every day came in focused with whatever the tasks that we put in front of her, whether it was a drill, whether it was a game plan, she lived out the actual work piece of that, of, of being the driver. I think the one thing that I'd say about Nas too that separated her from other players was she had this ability to, whether it was in the heat of the season, off season, just really focus at the task at hand. And there was a lot of noise when it came to stuff in, in Nas's journey because she became such a acclaimed player for our program, but she was able to not lose focus in a way that was very, very special for a player her age. The last thing I noticed, my wife works for the university and she did a photo shoot with her and she said she was one of the most remarkable, just accomplished young women she's ever been around. She just said she was a wonderful person and she represented the program so well. You know, and then you guys have a ton of great players, but I just think it's a true credit to coach and the rest of the staff that just how she, you know, represented you guys so well. Yeah. And Coach Rico certainly does deserve a lot of the credit of helping to find that connection with Nas, that became the leadership of our team. You know, the best player and the head coach, they were such in lockstep on every decision and and every turn of the season. It, it made it 
very seamless for other people to fall in line. Last thing on the team this season, we have 10 players on the all academic Big Ten team. That's amazing. Like, how does this happen? Coach Rico does such a good job of targeting student athletes that will fit into not only the cultural components of the program, but also of the University of Michigan as a whole. And, you know, the credit goes to our players. They work their tails off in, in the classroom as well. And that number is impressive. You know, even just hearing it there is like, wow, you know, we really did accomplish that goal of ours in this past season. But it's just because these players are special, special, special people. So Duncan, let's let's circle back. Duncan gets you to move to Ann Arbor. You have all these jobs and your parents are like, what are you doing? So you get here and you're obviously chasing a professional dream you know, spending time with Duncan. How did you convince coach to become a a graduate assistant for her? You know, I didn't see it coming when I first moved out here to chase the playing dreams, but I think those two years of being around the gym and and getting to know people around Ann Arbor, it allowed me to have a relationship with Coach Rico when I didn't even know I was building one with her, just through other people. So then when I finally went in for my GA interview, you know, we were able to connect on a number of different fronts. And and at the core of that, once again, was I think she really wanted people in this program that wanted to work and wanted to get, you know, down in the dirt and and figure out a way to get things done. And, you know, I think if nothing else from those two years, that was (laughs) what I'd, uh, I'd really tried to do was just chase my dream and work as hard as possible at it. And that became a, a easy segue into this job. So you mentioned substitute teaching, Uber driving, but you also mentioned coaching a club team and you coached the U of M Chinese club basketball team. What was that experience like? It was amazing, very unique. And I knew nothing about this community of basketball in Ann Arbor before I started working the job. I got connected through a mutual friend and, you know, it's this club team here at U of M that goes around and plays other clubs of Big Ten institutions. So, you know, we'd go play IU's club Chinese basketball team and, you know, Purdue's and Wisconsin's, and they'd have these weekend tournaments. And it was just another example of there are so many people that love this game out there. You know, all these students are doing really impressive stuff off the court in terms of their academic commitments and and trying to, you know, work towards goals completely unrelated to basketball. But we'd get together for these weekend trips or these games and suddenly it's as if they're playing in, you know, the WNBA or NBA finals. And it became, you know, my first actual coaching job was leading them. And it became a cool learning experience for me of, wow, you know, like whether it's players at this level or likely younger as well, you know, they deserve your best if they're this invested in it, where they're going to pay, you know, money to go travel, do this, do that. And it really pushed me to see the importance of coaching for the first time. How did you communicate? You mentioned teaching right at the start. Like, how were you able to maybe overcome some barriers in terms of language? I think basketball has an ability to give you a language of its own sometimes. I think that really helped. Many of the students spoke English, so they could become, you know, middle people for maybe some of the students and players that didn't speak as good of English. But it, it wasn't too much of a barrier, not as much as I thought, you know, initially when I uh, <laughs> when I started coaching them. Getting that head coaching experience, though, right away. Could you even describe the rush? It was exciting. You know, it's definitely a different sort of rush than you have in the assistant coaching seat or a GA seat. You know, at the same time, though, I think just being around the game in a coaching fashion, whatever seat you're in is exciting. And and when the ball gets thrown up for a game, you get that same feeling. It was fun, but um, I'm definitely enjoying the spot I'm in now, too. A big part of your coaching DNA is player development. I mean, you've created these individual 
player development plans for the young women with the Wolverines that people rave about. You In the past, you've worked with Mo Wagner. You've mentioned Duncan Robinson. You did some time in California with Noah LaRoche. You had clients such as Russell Westbrook, Deanna Trossi, Brianna Stewart, among others. Harry, what's your key to player development? I think with player development, it's just like any other piece of coaching where you want to find ways to help them build confidence in their individual skill set. But what Noah taught me, and you know, I've been working with or for Noah since I was 13, 14 years old. So he's became one of the biggest basketball mentors and, and role models in my life is you really want to build these plans to help them succeed in game as well. I worry sometimes with how basketball is these days and social media that sometimes it becomes two different departments of the skill development and and coaching so that these players can find success in the game. And there is, there's got to be some meshing of those two worlds. So I really try to do that with my player development programs or, you know, when I was a GA working with our players is what are specific things that this player can do to be better in the game. And if part of that is building confidence through the skill set stuff, that's great, but let's not get away from where you really want to be, which is starring in game. So building confidence through drills, then translating to live play. How did Noah really teach you this? This is really cool. Yeah, he's been developing his beliefs on it for you know near 20 years now. And I think that's been the success in his journey has been moving more and more towards putting players in game-like situations, which I'm sure every coach, you know, I like to call them coaches, not trainers in the summertime, because I think they're coaches as well. They're, they're teaching. And, and I think sometimes that trainer category is something else. But I think Noah does a great job of putting people in the situations that they're going to see over and over and over in games, not putting them, you know, against cones or, or no defense, like even that at the core of it, just making them make a decision against the defense in itself is simplifying it to the point where it's actually going to have more crossover in games. than I think a lot of players would realize. That's one of the areas that I've really struggled in player development is not going live. I think I do a pretty good job of teaching the skill, building the confidence, having the player, whether it's him or her, feel great. But this live component, how do you work that in? It gets even trickier to grow during the course of the season when, you know, you can't go live all the time because you have a game the next day or, or you know, it's a rest day. I think you got to you gotta find a balance between it of trying to give game-like reps and live reps. But there can be reps where you're showing stuff or teaching stuff that don't need to be at that speed, at least initially. You know, the good news is during the summertime, Right now, it's like you have the ability to kind of build out these programs where a lot of the reps can be live game speed. You know, you have to do it in context of your entire season, but it is. You got to have a, a feel for when you can cannot go live. So you've developed these programs for your players at Michigan. Obviously, it probably has a lot of collaboration with coach and your rest of your staff, but it takes time to understand each player's strengths and weaknesses. How do you individualize these certain player development programs for each of your players? Yeah, I think it's a balance between the relationship you've built of knowing their game, the film component, which the film doesn't lie. It's such a useful tool that we have and, you know, at such a large degree now with Synergy and these other programs that give you access to databases that 10, 15 years ago, you know, coaches just didn't have. And then we try to weave in the analytic piece of it too. You know, no, the numbers don't tell the whole story, but they can be a really nice way to, to weave in these ideas and concepts that you're trying to show them and talk through and build into the greater team aspect. 
So that's kind of how we break it down was talking them through what we see, what they see, film, statistics, and bringing that all together so we have the most complete view possible. So if I went in your office or your apartment, do you have drills everywhere? Are you driving around Annenberg thinking of drills? Like, do you have staple drills? Like, Or do you do it on the fly? You see something and adjust. Like, Talk me through that part of player development. I try to plan as much as possible. You know, yeah, I think your your mind as a coach is always trying to think of, you know, new ways you can show things or teach things. I try not to drive myself insane with it. You know, you plan as much as you can. You try to build up these programs of each specific player. And then, you know, you just try to work with them on a day-to-day basis to find tune it to the point where, you know, you're being as efficient as possible while also getting the work done. So I just mentioned five or six high level players. You obviously work with the wings here at Michigan. Talked about Hillman, one of the best players in women's college basketball this season. And you're working with the highest level caliber of players. Like how do you, how do you have the confidence in yourself to teach the skill, get with them and work with them and help them become better? You just do your best. You know, if you, if you can honestly look at yourself in the mirror and say that, you're giving it your best effort. I think confidence comes with that. Uh, there isn't too much more, you know, thought behind it than, okay, I'm going to put my best foot forward and, and hopefully they can see that this is genuine and that I'm doing the best I can. And um, hopefully that can build a level of trust over time that allows them to really believe what I'm, what I'm trying to teach and what we're trying to teach as a program. Duncan Robinson, how have you seen him evolve as a player? It's been amazing. You know, he has such a cool journey of his own from not playing <laughs> or getting a meaningful minutes his junior year of high school to, you know, our fifth year at Exeter to D3 to Michigan G League. Now, you know, signing the biggest contract in league history for an undrafted player. I think the development for him came with building that mindset we were just talking about of, okay, you know what? I'm working as hard as I possibly can. And when you do that over and over and start to see that, oh, everyone else I'm playing with, whether it's in the NBA or in the Big Ten, you know, they're just like me. They're trying to figure it out as well. I think he started to realize that I can do this and, you know, his height and his shooting ability has such a unique skill set that separates him. He realized, all right, as long as I lean into this, doing what I do, I can play at the highest level. During his redshirt year in Michigan, you're working out with them, you're shooting with them. If you ever have went to a Coach Beeline practice, it's undescribable amount of shooting drills he does. Do you think that was a big part of how Duncan evolved, that he was just constantly in competitive shooting drills, you know, working with Coach on his form? What else did you really see? I think... Duncan always had an unbelievable ability to shoot. But once again, I think whether it was John Beeline or a number of other great coaches that he had throughout his career, it was them building that confidence. And yes, you're right, Drew, a big piece of that is just getting up the game reps and, and continuing to work on that front. But for Duncan, he was such a great shooter, even from back when we were in high school and middle school, that I think the biggest piece for him was the mental side of it, of just understanding how good he was and that was at Michigan. The biggest piece was once you got to this level and it was like, oh, this is the highest level of college basketball. Seeing that on a day-to-day basis of that it could work at this level, I think was just a huge confidence booster for him over time. So a lot of people have told me you do a really good job with connecting with your players. And I know you spend hours upon hours on the court with them, but is this your secret sauce? Like, How do you develop these relationships with your players? Once again, just through working as hard as I can, you know, i Appreciate the kind words. You know, I give Coach Rico a lot of credit too, where as a staff, we, I think, build a reputation with our team of that we're all working as hard as possible. And, and the players see that and, and they respond to it by realizing, okay, then I better be working as hard as I can too. But I think that's at the core of any relationship or 
or trust with a player is is that they know that you have their best interest in mind and you're doing everything in your power to help them get better. What about having tough conversations? You know, that's part of developing relationships. You know, you have a player in your office. Like, how do you handle those situations? Each situation is different. Tough conversations are part of of coaching. It is, you know, especially around playing time or rotational decisions, but even stuff off the court. I think you just try to be as honest and forthright with them as possible. I think over time, even if they're mad in the moment, it becomes something where they see once again, wow, you know, that coach is, is really trying to help. And that allows the other stuff to fall by the wayside and, and your you know true, genuine relationship to, to rise up. So you mentioned film now, analytics. I would imagine that coach and your staff, you guys watch a lot of film. I know you're really involved with the practice team here at Michigan. For younger coaches, what are you trying to accomplish in the scouting of an opponent? We do watch a lot of film. We try to simplify it as much as possible for the players. We know there's only so much they can process during the heat of a game. Right. And Coach Rico does a great job of that, of, of okay, how can we get our point across in the simplest manner possible so that in the heat of the game, they'll be actually able to to process it and, and try to follow it. Obviously, the only way you figure that out is is by watching, you know, a number of games before each. And, and as an assistant, that's one of the fun parts of the job is you get to really get in the weeds on on figuring that out for opponents and, and trying to game plan. I think that's the key to it is just doing as much work as possible to then simplify it as much as possible. So you go through, you watch all this tape, go to coach, you present your film. You know, hey, I've watched this this on Iowa or Indiana or Michigan State or Northwestern. How do you formulate a game plan with coach? Just through, you know, just like anything else, you meet a lot and you try to fine tune it and you try to decide what is the best route to give you the best chance at winning. Coach Rico does a great job of trusting her assistants because she knows they've watched a lot of games and, and have done a lot of the legwork. So, you know, she'll always push back and she has the final say, but I really value that she has that level of trust in us as assistants to say, okay, this is what we're going to do. We'll live and die with the results if you put this much work into figuring out that this is the best way to do it. Yeah, I agree. Like player development, scouting, that's really, really fun stuff. Like there's nothing better than during a game. Coach says, what are they going to run here? And you're like, they're going to run this, this, and this. And it happens and you stop it. Scouts almost become like your children. Yeah. <laughs> they become living, breathing things. <laughs> you mentioned the heat of the game. Like what's been your approach talking or, or helping coach, assisting coach during the game? In game, you know, particularly before timeouts or at halftime, we have open dialogue about it. And she's very understanding of, or, you know, willing to listen to, to ideas that any assistant brings forth. I think just like any other staff, you know, you're just trying to see the flow of the game, trying to see where you can make little adjustments here and there, but also not, you know, deviate from the game plan too much. A lot of dialogue, but at the end of the day, just trying to stay on course and figure out how to get it done. A couple of weeks ago, I ran into you at a function in Ann Arbor and you were, you were explaining to me the summer recruiting period. <laughs> I was just like, I was almost overwhelmed. I did not participate in recruiting this summer, but it was a very intense and schedule that you and the entire staff participated in. You know, recruiting is a big piece of college coaching. Harry, when did you develop your own recruiting philosophy? Honestly, from just watching other coaches, you know, even back when I was a player to, you know, then now working with Coach Rico, it's all about relationship building once again with, you know, recruits and your current players so that they can vouch for it as well. You know, our recruiting is definitely, you know, national at Michigan. We're recruiting all different areas and trying to figure out, you know, which players and people are the right fit for this program and university. But the only way you do that once again is by putting in the legwork of watching them, really evaluating, and then also building that relationship with them over countless conversations and, and figuring out, okay, this is a good fit. 
you know, this isn't a good fit and it changes every day. That's, that's the fun part of route recruiting is you just got to have a pulse on it where you're, you're following, you know, <laughs> what is the right move at that specific time. And we're not always going to make the right move either. That's a reality of this too, right? Is that you're going to make mistakes, but just continue to try and move forward and find the players that are going to best represent Michigan women's basketball at this university. Are you trying to do four or five things of recruiting every day? We don't have to talk specifics or how coach wants you to recruit. You know, I once ran into a big 10 assistant and I said, how much do you recruit? He said 23 hours a day. <laughs> like, or how much is it on his mind? But like, how do you approach it? I think with recruiting, just like anything else, you try to be as strategic as possible. You try to do your work as much on the front end as possible. But at the end of it, you just realize you can always do more. Want to keep on finding ways to be more efficient and, and to make these processes you know, simpler. But you just got to put in work too. You got to make the calls. You got to write the letters. You got to try to build these relationships with these families, really. It's not just the player, but you know their parents, their coaches, where they trust that if they came to Michigan, it's going to be a, an unbelievable opportunity, not just on the court, but in the community, in the classroom, for them to grow as people. You know, That's at the core of anything we do, not to get into specifics, but right. is just trying to show these players that we want that that's waiting for them here in Ann Arbor. So your loyalty to coach, it's like off the charts, A+. Plus. I admire it, respect it, applaud it. When we ran into each other a couple weeks ago, you were like, Joe, you got to talk to my coworkers and da, 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 da. And I was like, I will. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, introduce me. Talk to me about the people that you work with. I mentioned, you know, Amy Mulligan and Sarah Van Meter. They're incredible. They've been here for 10 years. They've been such big pieces of, of what Michigan women's basketball has become. The assistants I've gotten to work with over the last, you know, three years have been remarkable too, you know. Val Nynema and Aaron Bath being the two current ones. But, you know, we have a great support staff here. Coach Rico does such a good job of, of finding talented basketball minds that are going to come in and, and try to move this program forward. You know, it's and a big piece of that is Michigan, too. This this university attracts people like that. So can't say enough good things about the staff that I've had an opportunity to work with. It's been one of the biggest opportunities of this job is the people it's surrounded me with. Going back to that graduate assistant interview. Did you ever think to yourself, I'm going to be coaching, working in women's basketball? Like, what was your mindset as a, a man? Okay, so I'm going to coach now in the women's, you know, and obviously this is one of the best programs in the country. What was your initial mindset? Just one of gratitude, you know, it was I didn't know much about women's basketball before I got the GA position here, but quickly I learned our players are passionate, our coaches are passionate. You know, there's so many similarities to the men's side and and it's just been such a good opportunity to be around people that are like-minded and love this game in the same way that you know we talked about at the top of this episode. And I think if you can find that in any realm of basketball, people that love it, you know, it's going to make the experience um, enjoyable. You know, you mentioned connecting, creating these relationships. Just in my one year with the women's basketball program at Eastern, the young ladies would come in my office. It would be lengthy, fun, challenging, exciting conversations. Something I maybe didn't experience on the men's side. It was really remarkable. Like again, you're a man with the women in developing relationships. Do you ever even think twice about it? Or is it just like, well, this is what we're doing. This is how we're breaking bread or this is how we're becoming, you know, creating this relationship between player and coach. Yeah. I think I try not to, I try to treat you know, the woman just as I would with any men's player of this is about basketball and this is about right. a common, you know, joy and, and infatuation with this game. So I think that's been at the core of my coaching philosophy is just trying to connect with players and other coaches on that. All right. You know, we both love this game and that's been the biggest piece of it. And something that I've really appreciated about the woman's side is that there's so many people on this side that love the game and 
in the same way that I do. So I read this article today, Coach Harbaugh is trendsetting in college football, hiring a former women's basketball player as one of his GAs. It's really inspiring. You're seeing it more and more in the NBA. Do you think there's a trend? Like I know Coach Kim, she is such an advocate for her staff to become head coaches. Talk to me about women maybe coaching on the men's side. I hope so. I hope so. You know, I think it's, we talk about being a man on the woman's side. There's inevitably some level of so many guys work on this side. Why aren't there more women working on the other side? And you're right. In some realms of men's sports right now, that trend is starting to grow. I just hope that it continues to, you know, to the point where, especially in basketball, where so many of these women were great players and and great coaches that they can get the opportunity to show that, coaching basketball isn't that different on either side. I'm sure you you saw that in your time at Eastern was that that inequity between the two sides of opportunity for women doesn't make sense. And just like anything else, you know, I know these battles take time, but it's frustrating that it's not going quicker because these women deserve those opportunities. So Harry, I always end the podcast. What are some simple tips for young coaches? The one commonality I've come back to over and over is working as hard as you can. I think that's at the core of, of any of it, like I keep saying, but also treating people right. You know, you, you try to help people along the way and it ends up helping you in ways that you never foresaw, you know, when you initially helped. So I think just treat people right, work hard and do everything you can to lean into that love of the game. You know, I think people really react well to that of being with people that understand this is pretty dang cool that we get to do this for a living, that we get to be around basketball, even when it's long hours, even when it's not going well, this is a pretty cool job. And having that, that perspective on it, I think will really help as well. Well, Harry, I appreciate you taking an hour out of your time to spend some time with me to help young coaches, to tell your story. In the entire conversation, there's two things that resonated with me. Loyalty, loyalty to coach, the program, your staff, you mentioned to support staff members, like you treated them like gold. And that was really, that was inspiring to hear that. And then I just think the the next thing and the most important thing is, or just as important as you talked about hard work. And I think as younger coaches, I even think about myself right now, like I want certain things, but I have to put the work into it. You know, I just think the one thing that young coaches hopefully will hear from you, you have to work in this profession and you've exemplified. That's a big part of it. So again, thank you for taking time out of your schedule. Wishing the Wolverines the best of luck this season. Appreciate all you do. And again, thank you for helping young coaches. Thank you, Drew. Appreciate you having me on. That was a great conversation with Coach Harry Rafter T. Here are some things that I love that Coach Harry said. And why does Coach Harry coach? It's not that different than teaching, helping young people. It is an opportunity to give back for a game that gave him so much. While he was coming up, I love basketball. I think Harry makes this point numerous times in this conversation. And I truly love how Coach Harry talks about how teaching and coaching are so similar. And how Coach Harry kept trying to keep playing. His goal was to play professionally. How about Duncan Robinson saying, come out to Ann Arbor. And how about Coach Harry's epic late night training schedule. And it is super cool that Harry met his professional goal and made it to a G League roster. On who is Coach Rico? Coach Rico is a remarkable leader. And the core of her leadership is this grit, a work ethic that is unrivaled. And what is truly Coach Rico's grind? She challenges her team to be the hardest working team in America. And she lives that belief in her own daily habits. On how Coach Rico 
has relationship with her players. There is a trust level and she can push people to their best. Pretty cool how Coach Harry talked about the culture of the Michigan women's basketball program. It is a strong culture of accountability. These are the standards and we are going to live by them. I love when Coach Harry talked about how Coach Kim helps women grow, empower women, the powerful women's club, no limitations, and we can break through any limitation. Really, really inspiring and so good. Did you hear when Coach Harry said, get down in the dirt and chase my dreams and work as hard as possible? Again, that work ethic, Coach Harry. On player development, find ways to help confidence in individual skill sets. Build plans to help them succeed in the games. Be a star in the games. Putting players in game-like situations. Make a decision versus defense. Great advice, Coach Harry. I thought Coach Harry was so genuine in regards to his relationship with Duncan Robinson. Again, really, really cool. On scouting, try to simplify for the players. On in-game coaching and open dialogue, try to see the flow of the game. Stay the course. How about Coach Harry's recruiting philosophy? All about relationship building and recruiting changes every day. He is searching for more ways to be a but you gotta put in the work. How about when Coach Harry talked about building relationships with the families? Great point, Coach Harry. And how Coach Rico and the staff and Coach Harry show players that you can grow as people at Michigan. Really love the gratitude that Coach Harry had for becoming a GA at Michigan. I also loved how Coach Harry is such an advocate for women coaches. His comments on hoping more women can work on the men's side was really, really good. Finally, Coach Harry's simple tips for young coaches, work as hard as you can, treat people right. And I love when Coach Harry said this, do everything you can to lean in to that love of the game. There's no doubt that Coach Harry loves basketball, teaching, coaching, his boss, his coworkers, and Michigan basketball. Thank you, Coach Harry Rafter D, for sharing your story. Subscribe, rate, and review on whatever platform that you are currently listening. Follow Tell Me Your Story Coach on Instagram at Tell Me Your Story Coach. Follow Tell Me Your Story Coach on Twitter at Coach Kevin Dro. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Kevin Mondro. Again, if you're looking for high-quality athletic gear and uniforms for this upcoming season, check out Moneyball Sportswear. I can't say this enough. If you're looking for a great book to read, you have to grab a copy of the book Deep, The Life of Rob Murphy, Alive with purpose. Finally, if you're looking for another amazing book, pre-order Rashad Phillips' book, Basketball Position Metric. Stay safe. I can't say this enough. Be you. Keep coaching. And see you on the next episode of the Tell Me Your Story Coach podcast.